curiosities. Just today, I picked up my Bolivian indigo parrot back from the taxidermist. Her name in life was Lisa Marie, named not for the famed daughter of the king of rock and roll, nor for the wife of the king of pop. No, named instead for the world-famous cannibal Idi Amin's two prized fighting buzzards. Lisa was the good head. She would say normal, good parrot things like, Lisa want a cracker and whatnot, while the other head, Marie. The only thing Marie would do was complain about the philosophical concept of dualism. It became rather tedious and trying over an extended period of time, made especially grating since no matter which side of the argument you took, Marie would immediately take up the contrary position. Eventually, I had to have Marie amputated. A line needed to be drawn somewhere. Unfortunately, Lisa did not survive the procedure, which was really a shame because I was rather fond of that head. So, I decided to have them stuffed and reunited in death as they were in life. Speaking of my parrot reminds me of a story by Gary Buller. Mr. Buller is an author from Manchester, England, where he lives with his long-suffering partner, Lisa, no relation to my parrot. He grew up in the Peak District, where the hauntingly beautiful landscapes inspired him to write. He's a huge fan of all things macabre, and loves a tale with a twist. Don't we all? Our story will be read for us this evening by the charming rogue with the brogue, Vic Mullen. Pet Shop by Gary Buller Brandon Wright had driven past the strange little pet shop more times than he cared to recall. He travelled that route at least once a week with his wife and daughter on their way to the mega market to get the weekly groceries. Now stood outside the slightly ramshackle corner building with dirty windows and peeling woodwork, he intended on going inside for the first time. His feet seemed to have other ideas though. Brandon was ashamed to admit to himself that he felt a little uncomfortable. The truth was that he just didn't enjoy meeting new people, or even speaking to new people for that matter. Sandra did all the talking when it came to ringing up the car insurance or dealing with the teachers at Holly's school, and it had always been that way as far back as he could remember. Even something as mundane as this intimidated him a little. He just wasn't a people person, he supposed. This was not the only reason for Brandon's discomfort, though. No, there was a creepy feeling to the old place. He had never once seen anyone 
come in or out of this establishment during the brief window in which he drove past, and that was a bit strange. Surely a pet shop sold animals, or at the very least pet food. Had a dull light not shone through the window and the sign been turned to open, he would have thought that it was closed, indefinitely. The window display to the left of the entrance contained a large vivarium filled with the usual accessories that lizard owners would be familiar with. Water, bowl, wood bark, substrate, and a little cave at the front, plastic leaves behind them. In the middle of this, a green lizard was sitting motionless. Brandon assumed it was alive and tapped the glass of the window, expecting to see the little head move jerkily in response. It was only when it didn't move, and he saw the hand-painted blood dripping from its eyes, that he realised it was plastic. He recalled watching a documentary about these strange animals on the Discovery Channel one time. These particular lizards squirted blood from their eyes as a defence mechanism, or so he seemed to remember. It was hard to imagine a creature like that actually existed. To see a fake one sat there, staring at him with red streaked cheeks like that was just plain cookie. Brandon hesitated for a moment, looked at the strange window display and then back at his car before summoning the strength to push the door open. Curiosity killed the cat, he thought. A little bell tinkled above him as he stepped inside. The door was restrained by a spring and closed shut behind him. Immediately he picked up on the sweet licorice smell of cherry blend tobacco, sawdust and dry pet food. The smoke was drifting around an elderly gentleman who reclined behind a low countertop that had seen better days. He looked off into the middle distance in a way that only pipe smokers seemed to do, his eyes misty and thoughtful underneath his flat cap. It was silent for a couple of seconds, and Brandon was just opening his mouth when the man spoke. Help you? Um, yes, Brandon said. I'm after some wax worms, please, if you have them. The old man rolled his eyes and exhaled then lifted himself from the rocking chair with exaggerated effort. We're all out of the good ones, he said. I put an order in a couple of days ago now and they still ain't delivered. Some of them are dead. I'll charge you half price if that's okay. Ah, that's fine, Brandon said. The old man reached under the counter and pulled out a plastic tub containing dozens of the wiggling white creatures. At least half of them were black and didn't move. What critter you got? the old man asked. Brandon now saw he was wearing denim dungarees over a gingham shirt. It was an odd combination. A leopard gecko, it's my daughter's. You like exotics then? I suppose so, I didn't have much a choice in the matter honestly, he replied with a nervous laugh. The old man removed the pipe from the corner of his lips for the first time and looked Brandon in the eyes as if weighing him up. There was another uncomfortable silence before he spoke. You want to see something unusual? He asked, nodding over his shoulder. Brandon looked past him. 
and saw a doorway behind the counter that led to another dimly lit room. He could make out the glow of UV bulbs inside long, dark tanks and the shimmer of light reflecting on glass surfaces. Brandon weighed up things quickly, decided that this old fellow looked harmless enough and was intrigued to see what wonderful creatures lay beyond the threshold. It occurred to him later on that this was when things started to go irreversibly wrong. His point of no return. Sure, he said, leaving the tub of waxworms on the side. The old man lifted a hinged corner of the counter and let him through. Brandon crossed the threshold first and was surprised at how dark and warm it was in there. There was a tropical heat and an odour of damp humidity. The UV lamps and the vivaria were the sole light. The old man followed and ushered him through into a small kitchen that smelled pungent and gamey. Unusually, there was a hole sawn into the ceiling in one corner and a chicken wire cage extended downwards to the floor. Brandon stood against the sink unit, the basin behind him, as the old man flicked a switch in a kettle that looked too old to be powered by electricity. Copper? he asked, removing the pipe. Uh, No thanks. Please yourself, the old man said. What exactly have you got that's so unusual, Mr... Horace. Just call me Horace. Brandon smiled. A local name, if there ever was one. I'm Brandon, by the way. Horace didn't return the smile. I've got lots of unusual things here, Mr. Brandon. Upstairs, for example, I have some snakes that are illegal in this country because they're of the venomous variety. I also have a few lizards that are on the endangered species register, but those are in my private quarters. He replaced the pipe in his mouth and inhaled. Guess what lives in that cage? He asked enigmatically, gesturing to the corner of the room. Brandon craned his neck to peer into the pitch black opening in the ceiling. In the roof space above, he could hear the movement of something large. He took a step forward to observe a little closer, the hairs on the back of his arms raising as he approached. Don't get too close, Horace warned. He'll have your fingers off. Something large dropped from the void and landed on the hay-lined floor of the cage with an agile thump. It was a mass of matted grey fur from which yellow canine teeth protruded, dripping with saliva. Reddish-brown eyes streaked with lightning-strike veins glared at Brandon with wild malevolence. With a furious, high-pitched screech, the creature launched itself at the wall of the cage. Brandon fell backwards onto the dirty tile floor, the chicken wire before him, bowing under the great weight of an animal that is about the same size as his six-year-old daughter. Horace was chuckling behind him, as if he had just been told a particularly witty joke. Momo, calm down, he was saying. This is only a guest. This is Brandon. The primate eyed him cautiously before ascending a rope 
back into the ceiling space, moving with skittish agility. There remained the smell of damp fur and feces. Brandon climbed to his feet, heart still thumping from his chest. He felt a little foolish and leaned back on the counter facing the old man. What the hell was that? he asked, breathless. That was Momo. He's a... Horace waved the thin end of his pipe in the air as if he searched for the right word. He's a special breed of ape. I got him from the same supplier that got me the crocodile. Crocodile? Brandon asked. He didn't like where this conversation was going. There was amusement now in the old man's eyes. Yeah, the one that's right behind you. Brandon quickly stepped forward and spun to face the basin. He hadn't noticed the eight-foot-long tank that sat in the windowsill above the sink. Lay within twelve inches of murky water, the golden-eyed reptile basked motionless under a spotlight. It was almost as big as the tank itself. Through the disbelief and the amazement, Brandon couldn't help but think how cruel it was keeping such a magnificent and dangerous creature in those conditions. "'He's off to the zoo come July,' Horace said, as if reading his thoughts. "'He won't be with us long. The supplier found him floating around Bottom's reservoir. He'd been living off ducks but was spotted hunting a teenager and his young brother who were out canoeing.' Impossible, Brandon said. It's too cold for reptiles in these parts. Horace laughed again. This time there was something distinctly condescending about his tone. Cryptids, he said, simply. Pardon me? Cryptids. Animals that shouldn't exist, but there's evidence that they might. That's my speciality here, Mr. Brandon. I suppose, technically speaking, they're not cryptids anymore because they are here and they do exist. I care for the bloody things after all, but I keep them a mystery so the world can keep wondering. He smiled at this and pulls out a packet of tobacco to feed his pipe. You are joking, right? Brandon finds himself saying. What do you think Momo is? Horace responds, nodding once again to the cage. He was trapped in the woods of Louisiana, Missouri. You won't believe what I had to pay for him, but as far as I'm concerned, it's more than worth it. Who else owns an ape man, of course? I'll have to buy a bigger cage because the adults grow to eight feet tall. He's only a nipper at the moment, but I don't mind. We have a bond. Brandon shook his head. He couldn't believe what the old man said. He must be stark raving mad, he decided. The croc isn't a cryptid though, is it? Oh, the species isn't, but Lewis here is. Goodness knows how he came to stalk youngsters in the cold waters of Bottom's Reservoir, but here he is, as bold as brass. A regular mystery. As far as my collection goes, he's fairly unimpressive though. Hence why I asked the zoo to take him off my hands. Brandon couldn't help himself. The logical part of his mind told him that he had just seen an ape and a crocodile, not two mythical creatures. 
The curious little boy in him was intrigued, though, and wanted to see more. "'What else do you have?' he asked. The old man pocketed his tobacco and led him out of the room, back into the eerie purple glow of the vivarium-lined chamber. He stopped at an aquarium in one corner and gestured for his guest to take a look. At first, Brandon couldn't see anything in the water, aside from a large decorative skull lodged in the gravel at the bottom and a thick row of gently waving seagrass at the rear. A photograph of a shipwreck on a sandy seabed served as an interesting backdrop. I almost forgot, Horace muttered, and opening a little drawer underneath, removed an opaque plastic container containing live pinky mice. He took one, writhing between tobacco-stained finger and thumb, and lifting the lid slightly, dropped the animal into the water with a plop. Two unusually serpentine fish glided serenely out from the hollow eyes of the skull. Eels, maybe? Brandon thought, and then raised his hand to his mouth with a gasp. One of them spun a slow-motion pirouette and a stream of bubbles rising from the filtration tube and had turned to face him. A gaunt, skeletal head with perfectly white eyes studied Brandon as it propelled itself forward with tiny webbed claws towards its prey. It had an almost colourless upper body, ending in a scaled tail that glowed green and purple under the UV lights. The tint reminded Brandon of an oil slick, and he had a gut feeling that these little monsters were just as toxic. No money on earth would have persuaded him to put a single finger in that water. Mermaids, said Horace. More common than you think, to be honest. They only grow to a foot long in captivity, but have drowned many a sailor out at sea. These ones are from Lilsford in Norway, but I keep having to replace them every couple of years. They don't last long in these tanks. The other mermaid was slightly larger and had reached the pinky mouse first. Snake-like, it opened and extended its jaws, which contained hundreds of little needle teeth and took a chunk out of the flailing creature. Blood billowed out of the wound like smoke from fire, and for a second Brandon could not see anything inside the tank. When it eventually cleared, there was nothing left of the pinky mouse besides a severed head, which the other mermaid gnawed as they returned to their lair. They both floated, just beyond the reach of light, gazing out at Brandon with an eager interest that he found very creepy. Vicious little buggers, aren't they? Horace chuckled. Brandon was still staring at their miniature gaunt faces and those milky white eyes when he noticed that Horace had moved over to another tank at the other side of the room. 
He shuddered as he joined his companion. Goose flesh had formed in his arms, and the cold beading on his forehead was nothing to do with the tropical climate in here. Crouching slightly, with his face a couple of feet away from the glass, Brandon looked into the arboreal vivarium that was almost as tall as he was. Inside the light is provided by two 60-watt bulbs. He guessed that this was to simulate sunlight and to provide warmth. The bottom of the tank contained four turf littered with dead leaves and a tree trunk extended from the bottom to the top of the enclosure. Horace tapped gently on the glass. Three large butterflies fluttered out of one of the holes, landing on one of the branches that crisscross the high level of the tank, except they're not butterflies at all. Each one was a tiny, perfectly formed person with gossamer-thin wings. Delicate veins spread through them that for some reason reminded Brandon of a stained-glass window. Their skin was mottled in pastel shades of green and brown, and they were perfectly naked. They chattered amongst each other with low whistles and clicks. Beautiful, Brandon whispered, almost to himself as he got a closer look. So beautiful. They flew off their branch to meet him, moving with a nimble gracefulness. He focused on one in particular and its enchanting emerald eyes, so small but so perfect. The room around him begins to drift away and the low humming of the lights and the buzz of air pumps was now in a different galaxy. He could see a minute pinprick pupil within that green eye and it grew larger and larger until he was swallowed by it. He could see his father, a man that had died years before, yet there he was, larger than life and with his belt strap old faithful resting in his palm drop your shorts and bend over boy he hissed at Brandon I'll teach you to disobey me I told you to stay away from the main road curiosity killed the cat you know Brandon obeyed what more could he do rough angry hands grip him and bend him over a hard bony knee He can see the shadow of Old Faithful on the wall as it raises buckle first into the air and then it's brought down with such velocity that the scream escaped him like bats from a crawl space. Brandon came to his senses. Horace had slapped him hard across the cheek, leaving a warm imprint. There was a small spider web of fractured glass in the tank in front of him and when he touched his forehead, he could see blood on his fingers. Never get too close to the fairies, Horace said firmly, emphasising each word with a shake of Brandon's shoulders. This was the first time that Brandon had seen this side of his host, and the seriousness in his tone scared him. Within the tank, the little people are flying haphazardly around their prison, bumping into surfaces with a muted dink, 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 like moths around a light shade. He can hear muted screams of frustration 
and fury. I've heard stories of experienced woodcutters sticking knives into their own eyes because of these little monsters. I get them from a blind woman who lives out in Sussex, believe it or not. The British countryside is the breeding grounds of fairy folk. Horace removed his hands from Brandon's soldiers. I'll get a plaster for your cut. Don't bother, Brandon snapped. I think I've seen enough. Thanks for the waxworms. Whoa, whoa. Horace held his hands up in a hang on a second there gesture. You haven't seen the main event yet. The pride and joy of this pet shop. Pet shop? Brandon thought. Now there's a misnomer if I've ever heard one. This cryptid was caught locally, in the forest just beyond those hills out there, in fact, out in the wilds. Have you ever heard of a boggart? No. I mean, I think so. Cryptozoologists tell the story of a creature that haunts the British woodland, waiting in seclusion for an unwary traveller to wander through, Horace said with relish, packing fresh tobacco into his pipe. The boggart lures the poor sap into the deepest, darkest groves where the sunlight struggles to break through with the promise of treasures beyond their wildest dreams. Once trapped, he drains the travel of our life force, turning them into stone. He pulled out a match and lights the tobacco, sending a fresh blue plume of sweet smoke. Despite himself and the dull throd on his forehead, Brandon is intrigued. Five more minutes won't harm anyone. He'll be very careful this time. Okay, Horace, show me, but then I have to go, he said, wiping his forehead with a sleeve. He is relieved to see that the bleeding had stopped. Horace takes him through the kitchen, and opening a locked door leads him up the narrow wooden steps. I always said that I'd never let anyone see my private quarters. But in your case, I'll make an exception, the old man said. Just be careful where you step. There's all sorts up here waiting to go on display. They walked down a corridor, lined on either side with cages. The wild animal scent was almost unbearable here, and Brandon pulled his shirt up over his nose. He caught glimpses of strange deformed creatures behind the bars. He guessed from his limited knowledge that one canine-like animal is a chupacabra and a slimy green hand that reaches out to grab his ankle is from what appears to be some sort of goblin. The room was filled with the growls and squawks, guttural screams and howling. It was like the Bedlam petting zoo. Horace reached the end of the corridor and turned to Brandon holding up a large ornate key in his leathery, work-worn hands. In here, he said, above the noise. He unlocked the door and, pushing it open, invited Brandon to enter. The room was illuminated by a single small window and there is no furniture apart from a neatly made bed against one wall. The floor was bereft of carpet, and the only other item in the room was a six-by-six-foot cage, covered with an oversized white cover. Horace closes the door and walks past Brandon. Grabbing the sheet, 
pulls it off with all the gusto of a magician unveiling the big reveal. Get a load of this! Inside the locked cage, there was a statue. A man stood as if cast in concrete. He was bent at the knees, with his hands raised, palms outwards as if towards someone or something away. His head was bent back, and to the side his eyes closed tightly. His mouth was open in a silent scream. Brandon squinted, baffled. Who's that? he asked. Where's your boggart? The answer dawned on him even before Horace removed his flat cap to reveal two little horns protruding from his hairless brow. Brandon is already running back towards the door, though he knows it will be locked. That, Horace told the unwary traveller, his eyes brightening into two glowing pools of whirling flame, used to be the owner of this pet shop. I simply must contact that shop and get on Horace's preferred customer list. I've been thinking about adding some aquariums to my collection. Those mermaids would do rather nicely in here, don't you think? Hmm, perhaps he can find me a new bird while we're at it. Perhaps a buzzard of my own. As for Lisa Marie here, she will have a new place of honor amongst my myriad exhibits. On that note, I'm afraid it is time for us to close for this evening. But you can visit her again next time at the Gallery of Curiosities. This episode was produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution no derivatives license. Don't sell it, change it, or make a transcript. Tonight's story musics were by Brett Van Donsel and Kevin McLeod. Our theme song, as always, is Ashes Ashes by Deus Ex Vapora Machina. For full show notes, visit the gallery webpage at gallerycurious.com